to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on July 5th, 2015, on the basis of Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. This weekend, our nation is celebrating the fact that 239 years ago, there were 56 men who were willing to sign their name to a document that declared 13 British colonies to be independent United States. And as they did, the very last sentence that they read, the sentence that was right above where they signed their names, read like this. It said, For the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. In other words, by signing that Declaration of Independence, these 56 men were really putting a lot on the line. Everything, in fact. So what do you suppose it looked like as they did? What do you suppose you might have learned from their body language or from their facial expressions as they were signing that document? Well, as you might know, of all 56 signers, there's one in particular who usually gets most of the attention. John Hancock signed his name first, and he signed his name the biggest. And maybe you've heard the story that John Hancock made his signature so large to make sure that King George III of England would be sure to read it. There's actually a legend out there that after signing the declaration, John Hancock said something like, there, now they can see it, and when they do, I hope they double the bounty that they've put on my head. Now, whether or not any of those legends is true, how do you explain the behavior of those 56 men? How do you explain their determination, their courage, their resolve, Well, really, their willingness to put their names on the very bottom of that document can only be explained by looking at one of the sentences at the very top. One of the very first things said in the Declaration of Independence, maybe some words that you're familiar with, they wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, those men so firmly believed that if a government wasn't doing its job of protecting those basic human rights, that government deserved to be overthrown. And they believed that so firmly that they were willing to risk their lives to do it. What they were fighting for is the only thing that can explain the courage and determination that they were willing to fight with. And really, we see something very similar in the words that are in front of us today. Luke starts out by telling us that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus knew full well that this would be his last trip to the capital city, that this trip to Jerusalem would end with his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. In other words, by going to Jerusalem, Jesus knew that he was putting his very life on the line. And yet Luke tells us that he went resolutely. 
Literally, the word that Luke uses means that Jesus made his face firm, solid, like stone or like iron. Jesus was bound and determined to go. And along the way, Luke records for us four different interactions that Jesus has, four different conversations that he has with various people. Four conversations that make it very clear that not only does Jesus expect the very same resolve out of you and me, four interactions that tell us exactly what a resolute Christian looks like. And this morning, I'm going to cut right to the chase. Based on Jesus' words, here's what a resolute Christian looks like. First of all, a resolute Christian does not get angry at opposition to Christianity. Even when an entire group of people rejects Jesus and even disrespects Jesus, a resolute Christian does not fight back, does not desire retribution. Secondly, a resolute Christian expects to feel out of place, restless, and lonely in this world. A resolute Christian expects never to feel quite at home here. Thirdly, to a resolute Christian, the most important people in life are not the members of family, not kids, not parents not spouses. In fact, a resolute Christian values eternal relationships even more than earthly ones. And finally, a resolute Christian is willing to part ways with, willing to give up, willing to leave behind things that he holds near and dear to his heart. And a resolute Christian does not look back. A resolute Christian has no regret. So are you ready to sign on? You ready to put your signature at the bottom? Maybe not, right? Or at least not yet. In fact, maybe part of what you would be thinking right now is this. Pastor Bauer, I need you to prove that to me. I need you to show me from Jesus' words that that's what he expects out of me as his follower. I need you to show me that that's what a resolute Christian looks like. In fact, that's the way it... it, kind of normally goes during the sermon, doesn't it? Hopefully during the sermon, it's my goal that I don't just stand up here and and tell you what God's word means like that. Hopefully I, I do a good job of showing you what God's word means. Almost like we're making a journey side by side and arriving at the end, arriving at the conclusion together. But there's a reason why that won't work today. You see, even if we very carefully and very patiently worked through these verses and arrived at the conclusion that, yes, that's exactly what Jesus expects out of you and me, you'd still want nothing to do with it. Just like I want nothing to do with it. When Jesus asks us to follow him, he very clearly asks us to put everything on the line. And not only does that seem foolish, not only does that not make sense, but you and I have absolutely no desire to do it unless we understand the reason why. And the reason why is not found at the very bottom where we sign our names. 
The reason why is found at the very top. In the very first sentence of the verses in front of us. Luke begins this entire section by saying, As the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It's kind of a weird way of saying it, isn't it? Maybe you'd expect Luke to say, As the time approached for Jesus to die, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Instead, he says, the time was coming near for him to go back up to heaven, so he went to Jerusalem. There's something else a little bit strange about the way that Luke says this. You see, normally when we think about time, we think about time running out. As in, as the sands of the hourglass, so are the days of our lives, right? And yet Luke tells us here that time is actually filling up. So this wasn't a countdown to Jesus' death. This was a count up to the day when Jesus would go back to glory. And really in both of those ways, Luke is telling us that even though Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he wasn't really going to Jerusalem. Jesus was going through Jerusalem. Jerusalem wasn't the destination. Jerusalem was just a necessary stop along the way. And only that can explain Jesus' resolve, Jesus' determination. In fact, what Luke really says is that as that time was filling up, Jesus' resolve was filling up right alongside with it. As Jesus got closer and closer to his return to heaven, his face became more and more firm more and more set in stone and resolved to do the mission that God had sent him to do. The destination of Jesus' journey is the only thing that can explain his determination to take it. And friends, because of that determination, you and I can be absolutely certain that the destination of our journey is the same as it was for him. You and I can be absolutely certain that a spot in heaven has been secured for us. That very same blood that Jesus so resolutely shed on the cross has been used to write your name in this big, huge book called the Book of Life. A book of reservations for all the many rooms up in heaven. Your name was written in Jesus' blood when at your baptism you were connected to Jesus. When he put his name on you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he put your name in his book. So the reservation's been made. The room's all cleaned up. The bed's made. There's a mint on the pillow. It's just sitting and waiting there for you. That's your destination. Heaven is your home. And that's the only way that we can possibly understand and even embrace the commitment that Jesus asks us to make. I mean, why in the world would Jesus actually rebuke two of his disciples for wanting to call down punishment on a village of people that had rejected Jesus? Jesus was walking through the region of Samaria. And he sent a couple of messengers up ahead to the next town to say, hey, we've got this big group of people that's coming. We're going to need food. We're going to need lodging. You might want to start getting ready for us. 
they send word back, sorry, you're not welcome here. So when a city, when a region, or when an entire country decides that Jesus is no longer welcome, why do we as Christians not get overly angry about that? And why do we certainly not fight back? It's very simple. Jesus' destination was not a city, not a region, not a country. Jesus' destination was heaven. I'm going to say that just a little bit differently because in light of recent events, I think it's kind of important. America has not ever been, will not ever be, cannot possibly be a home for Jesus. Say what you want about what our country once was. Say what you want about what our country now has become. Jesus made it very clear when he said, my kingdom is not of this world. His destination was heaven. Our home is heaven. Our home is not where we pledge our allegiance, even on the 4th of July. Our home is with him. Why in the world would Jesus pour cold water all over this enthusiastic would-be follower? This guy comes up to Jesus and he says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Unfortunately, he was kind of like the 10-year-old boy who goes out to the 4th of July parade. And he sees that company of soldiers walking by in their nice fancy uniforms and their nice shiny weapons. And he thinks to himself, when I grow up, I'm going to be a soldier. And of course, as great as that is, that 10-year-old has no clue about the reality of war. When Jesus invites us to follow him, he wants us to know reality. He wants us to know that just as he was lonely, out of place, restless in this world, we can expect the very same. Our home is not where we lay our head. Our home is with him. Why in the world would Jesus deny this grieving son's request to go bury his father? Is it because we're not supposed to go to the funerals of relatives? Is it because Jesus doesn't want us to love our families? No, of course not. And yet as strong and as important as those bonds of family are, those bonds will one day be severed by death. And so Jesus wants us to focus on eternal bonds and eternal relationships. Jesus wants us to go to the living, to proclaim to them the good news of the kingdom of God so that those eternal relationships can be established. Our home is not where all of our relatives live. Our home is with him. Finally, why would Jesus refuse to let this final guy go back to his house one last time to say goodbye to his family and to part ways with all of his stuff? Well, Jesus knew that this man's heart was still back there at home. He knew that this man was like the guy who would go out and hop on his John Deere tractor, get ready to mow his lawn, making nice, perfectly straight lines, looking back over his shoulder the entire time doesn't work out so well. Our home is not where our stuff is stored. Our home is with him. You know, what's truly interesting about all four of these interactions that Jesus has 
is that we never hear how they end up. We never hear how each one of these individuals responds to the surprising and seemingly harsh words of Jesus. Because that's not the point. The point is, how will you? When Jesus asks you to follow him in this way, will you be ready and willing to sign your name at the bottom? Of course, as we think about that question, as we, as we think about these verses almost like taking a good long look in the mirror, we realize that we don't always like what we see. Instead of commitment and resolve and determination, we often show half-heartedness, hesitation, reluctance. In fact, as we think about these verses like looking into that mirror, it's important for each one of us to admit that no, this is not what a resolute Christian looks like. And yet it's even more important that as we think about putting our name at the bottom, we again go go always back to the very top. We always remember that in spite of our reservation, Jesus was always perfectly resolved to be our Savior. That in spite of our sin, our destination is not death. Our destination is eternal life. And so for everything that Jesus leads us away from, he is leading us toward something far better. For everything that he asks us to give up that is near and dear to our hearts, he is inviting us to grab on to something that is far superior. And so what Jesus really wants us to know from these verses is that the most important thing isn't even what a resolute Christian looks like. Really, the important thing is what a resolute Christian looks at. And when we as Christians are continuously looking at our heavenly home, our certain destination then the determination to make that journey will certainly follow. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.